0: Hey, thanks for joining me for uh, Vertical Vision today. Uh, sorry that this is a little on the late side. I had uh, some things come up, but um, I wanted to, to give you a, uh, a lesson that I taught uh, just a few days ago for a, for a friend of mine. He asked me to fill in, and it deals with the issue of our lives uh, really reflecting the relationship that we have in Christ and reflecting Christ himself. Basically letting our talk and our walk match up. So uh, I hope that this blesses you. It's a real challenge uh, for us in a time and a day where a lot of people are looking for um, something real. And they're looking for us as Christians to be living and practicing what we preach. So uh, I hope there's some really good tools with this that will encourage you and bless you. And uh, again, thanks for joining me, and uh, let's get into the Word of God. As you have been going through 1 Peter to this point, um, we know that the first chapter basically talks about what we have as being born again in Christ, Right. We're born again because of what Jesus has done for us. We have moved from death, spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, into life in Jesus Christ. And this is something that baffled the minds of the Old Testament prophets. They were writing these things down and they were wondering who they were for. They were trying to make sense of them and understand them. And it was revealed to them that what they were writing down wasn't for them. It was for you. And it was for me. And such were the nature of these things that angels longed to look into them. Angels desired to understand what God would be doing through his son in our lives And through our lives. And so we're exhorted by Peter to live holy lives. Why? Because our Papa is holy. He is not like anyone else. He is not like any God. He is the only God, the true God. There is no one like him. He is separate from all. And as his children, we too are to live separate lives. We're supposed to be different. And I think this really is important as we study this passage this morning, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. See, because we're told in Scripture that we are to live holy lives, We're told in Scripture that we are to love each other. And Peter uses a word in chapter 1 of phileo, brotherly love. And it's one of affection for each other. And I can't help but think, and maybe you've never been in this situation, but I used to do a lot of missions over the years. And I would regularly be out of my element. I would be in a foreign country, cultures I had never experienced, people I didn't know. But then you engage with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You meet up with them. And you've got family. And there's a connection and a bond that transcends nations, transcends culture transcends time and all of a sudden you're in family and we as christians are called to love each other and what we see in first peter is we are a separate nation we are citizens of another realm and as such we are outsiders in this world and as such we really need to stick together as family. We need to love each other. We need to hold to each other. And the world that we are living in, they know as Christians we should be different. They expect us to be different. And I would dare say this, They want us to be different. As the people in the world are tossed to and fro and they're looking for hope, strength, purpose, life, a destiny, a place to belong, a sense of understanding why they're even alive, they want us to be different. Because if we're different, that means there is hope that there's something other than what they're used to seeing. And so Peter addresses our life and how we are to live as children of God and why it makes such a huge impact, all right? So now, let's open up our Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and read this all the way through because we have bookends, Chapter 1, I mean, uh, verse 1 and verse 11 are bookends of things that we need to abstain from and stop doing, and in between is all of the relevant things that we should do and does happen when we put aside the two bookends and get rid of them, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1, so put away all malice who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that... When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right out of the gate, Peter has told us, okay, you are born again. You are to be holy, separate, different from the world, just as your father is holy and separate. And you are to love each other. You are to care for each other. And on the heels of that is the statement, so put away all malice, slander, hypocrisy. So in the context, he wasn't telling them, hey, don't go down this path. They were already going down that path. And he was saying, stop it. Stop slandering. Stop being a hypocrite. Stop being malicious to each other. Stop living like the world. Put aside, verse 11, the pursuits of the flesh. Why? Because they war against your soul. They will rob you of the things that God has for you. They will hinder and hurt your relationship with him with each other, and your testimony to the world. So right out of the gate, they're instructed to stop doing these things. And gang, here's the thing. This is one of the key issues that a lot of people who do not want to go to church address. Now you've got hypocrites everywhere you go, and the church is no different. But they expect a higher standard for the saints of God. They expect that different life, that holy life. That's what they're looking for in us. And so we're supposed to put these things aside, not do them. Because as Peter says a little later on in verse 12, they accuse us of wrongdoing. And you know what? Unfortunately, their accusations can quite often stick. And so if we live rightly and wholly before our Lord and with each other, those accusations don't stick. And it has a glorious result in their lives in the end. Hopefully. Okay, it's up to them. But it makes an impact in their lives, and we're going to see that. So rather than being malicious rather than being gossips, rather than being hypocrites and envying each other and slandering each other and pursuing the things of the world and our flesh, verse 2 says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, not to get saved, but to grow in your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So when I think about this, He says, put aside all of this garbage, this sin, and long for the pure spiritual milk like a newborn baby, okay? This isn't talking toddler. This isn't talking, you know, an older baby. This is a newborn. Boom. Brand new. And they want their milk. And they will wake you up anytime, anywhere, to let you know that they want their milk, okay? And they won't take no for an answer. They long for it. And as I thought about this, if we are filling our lives with the things of the world and sin and feeding our flesh, we are not going to be hungry for the things of God. For me, I work in Madison, which means generally once a week I make a Costco run before I come home, okay. But when I get off at 5 o'clock, I'm usually hungry. And when I go to Costco, that's not a good place for a hungry man to be. (laughs) And so I'm, and she knows, you know, Jennifer knows, I'll, I'll go through the aisles and it's like, oh, that looks good. And it's never, ever, okay, seriously, never good food. The chips look particularly good today. They're on sale. The popcorn with the caramel and the cheese is on sale. <laughs> I, yeah, see, I hit a nerve. So you know what I'm saying? You see that and you go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just grab that. And then they've got like the, you know, like the peanut butter trail mix that has nothing healthy in it it's it's all the peanut butter M&M's and, and peanut butter cups and all that stuff. Oh, gotta get some of that, you know. And then you put the necessities in the cart too. And usually, and I didn't do that this week by the way, I was good. But normally <laughs> I'm learning well I was actually thinking about this and it was just kind of like wow, okay. But um, But the tendency is as I'm hungry, and I'm in the car making the drive from Madison back to Baraboo, I'll open something up. And then I start eating. And I'm eating the chips or the popcorn. And it's filling a void. And then when I get home, I'm not so hungry for the real food the good food, the healthy food that has been prepared for me. Because by the time I get home a little after 6 or on a Costco run, closer to 6.30, they know I'm hungry. And food is usually ready as soon as I walk in the door. It's prepped. But when I have stuffed myself with junk, I'm not so hungry for the stuff that's really good for me and will sustain me. And then, I'll eat a little bit, but generally then I find myself snacking later on because I wasn't filled to the full because I had just a bunch of garbage and it's not healthy for me anyway. And so for us as Christians, if we are taking in the things of the world and we're taking in and feeding our flesh and sin, guess what? We are not going to be so hungry for the spiritual milk of God. But only the spiritual milk of God will sustain and help us grow up. And you notice that it says the pure milk, right? The pure, untainted milk. There are a lot of people who taint the Bible. We taint it with doctrine We taint it with ideologies. We taint it with our personal views. We taint it with what is politically correct. We taint it with what's comfortable. We taint it with all manner of things. And when you have tainted milk, it will make somebody sick. We don't want to have that. We need to be hungry for the pure milk of the Word of God. I encourage you to be in the Word of God for yourself. You and the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with good commentaries. God has given us pastors to help us learn the word of God better. And this is critical in that if you have a good Bible teaching church, it will bring up good Bible reading saints, okay? But we'll see this in a moment. If you have something tainted, it's going to impact the body. So if somebody is taught wrong in church, they're going to carry that error into their personal time with the Lord, if they even have their own personal devotions. Be hungry for the pure milk of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Just get in there with Him. Spend time with Him. And let Him feed you and nurture you because that's where we grow that's how we develop in our salvation and then we go from putting away the garbage longing for the pure spiritual milk now it's come to Jesus okay verse 4 as you come to him understand this Peter's talking to believers all right not unbelievers The way this is worded is a regular, continuous coming to Jesus. It's relationship. It's not coming to Jesus on Sundays, not coming to Jesus once in a while, Easter, Christmas, something like that. But it is the regular coming to Jesus, connecting with Jesus. Because he is a living stone. We do not engage with a dead stone religious zealot. We do not engage with an ideology. We do not engage with dogmas and philosophies. Our connection is with a living Savior. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, with us, and his Holy Spirit is in us. Intimate relationship all the time. And as with any relationship, the more time we spend with a person, the better the relationship grows. If it's just hit or miss, it's an acquaintance, not a relationship. Okay? Come to him as living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves You put your trust in Jesus, you are not going to be disappointed. So, the honor is for you who believe, not our honor, his honor. The word is actually the same as what we see there precious, just a little bit before. His preciousness is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Just in case anybody's wondering there, verse 8, they are not destined to disobey the word, okay? We're not talking about people being predestined to reject Jesus and predestined to go to hell. That's not what it's talking about. They were predestined to fall because they disobeyed the word, okay? You notice that Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone had to be perfect. It had to be square. It had to be right. Because every other stone that connected to it was built out from the cornerstone into the rest of the structure. And if the cornerstone is screwed up, the entire structure will be screwed up. The further out you go from that cornerstone, it will get worse and worse. I used to be a Boy Scout, and one of the worst things you could have was a compass, you know, and I was, I I didn't learn until much later, I would buy cheap compasses, okay? If the compass was off a little bit, or if you didn't realize there's a difference between magnetic north and true north, and you didn't navigate accordingly, for a while, it seems like you're on track, but the further you go the more you spread off course. And so it is with the cornerstone. The further out you go from the cornerstone, the walls begin to veer off. And as you go up, everything starts to cant out or cant in, and everything gets out of whack. And the further away you go from that cornerstone, the more out of whack it's going to be. And there are a lot of people who are building upon a different foundation, they're not building upon the cornerstone of Christ. They're building upon the cornerstone of social relativism, progressivism, tradition, ideologies, personal preference, political correctness. Those are not square. They're not true. Only Jesus is. And if the church is going to represent Christ, and be a dwelling place for the living God on this earth. We have to be connected to Jesus. Not Jesus and something else. Jesus alone. And as we are and we go and that's being built and we go up and we go out and the temple of God is constructed. Then we will be rightly fit together and it will be a dwelling place that honors the Lord. I hate to say it, but when most people look at the church, they do not see something that honors the God of heaven. When people looked at Solomon's temple, it blew their minds. It was so glorious and beautiful. When people looked at Herod's temple, same thing. What happens when the world looks at these temples, my temple personally, Do they look at my temple because I'm a living stone in this temple and I'm also individually in a dwelling place of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Do people see his glory in me? Or do they look at me and go, wow, if that's all that your Jesus can do for you, I don't need him. And I've heard a lot of people say that about the church and Christians. You know, your life is no different than mine. So why do I need your God? As a matter of fact, I think my life is a little better than most Christians. Why do I need your Jesus? Obviously, he's not doing anything for you. See, we have to desire the pure milk of the word, and we need to be connected to Jesus Christ so that we can be built into that glorious structure because that's the only way. We are supposed to be a holy priesthood. What's the priesthood do? holy, set apart, the priesthood was the person who was the intermediary between the people and God. We are God's representatives in this earth. We are his priests and we offer worship to God. The priests also did that. They offered sacrifices to God. What's our greatest sacrifice that we offer as priests unto God? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Our bodies are to be living sacrifices, living stones, living sacrifices. And as living sacrifices, Paul tells us, that is our spiritual service of worship. When a believer is, and I'm not talking about perfect, we all screw up. But when a believer is walking with the Lord... And people can see Jesus in their lives. You know what? It's a beautiful thing. They see something different. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of months ago, and he's been praying for a coworker for a long time. And the coworker said to him a couple of months ago, just out of the blue, I want to thank you for living the kind of life you do and being a good example of Jesus. And they're not a believer. And they're saying that to, to my friend, the coworker could see Jesus in him, and she's open to hearing more, because there's something different, something beautiful. And that's the way we're supposed to be as believers. We're a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. The only way we can be acceptable living sacrifices is by the Holy Spirit's help. It's only through Jesus. And when we just walk with Him, He'll take care of the rest. Going on, that's what we're to do. Go to verse 9, and we'll see more wise. What, What are we as Christians? Okay, we're born again, we're to be holy. Or a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Verse 9, you are a chosen race. God chose you and I to be a race of people. This equates to what he did with Israel. He chose Israel out of all the nations of the world to be his. And he said it wasn't because they were strong. Not because they were holy, not because they were righteous, not because they were better. And God in fact said, you were obstinate, stiff-necked, and hard. And I chose you to reveal myself to the world. As Jesus worked with Israel, people could see the heart of God toward humanity. Jesus chose us, the church, to be a holy nation. And through us, reveal himself and his heart to the world. And on top of that, as a chosen people, he chooses to use us to teach angels. Remember, Peter's already said angels have longed to look into this, right? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And look what Paul says about the church as it pertains to this very matter. And to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he goes on from there. But you notice, the church would show the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold really means multifaceted. Okay? The multiple dimensions of the wisdom of God. Angels don't know everything. And through the church and how God works through the body of Christ, angels, fallen and unfallen, are able to understand facets of God that they would never have known before. He is revealing himself to the angelic realms by how he engages with us. They would have never known that. We have a very interesting position as children of God, as a people of God, as saints of God, where angels go, what? What on earth? Lord, why do you want to use them? Lord, why did you save them? They would have never understood the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the splendor of God as it pertains to salvation as the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, laid aside his heavenly glory and became a human being to ransom a fallen world back into himself, that we might be a holy nation, a people for God's own possession bought by the blood of Christ. They're learning by what God is doing in us. We are a chosen people, a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, okay? We serve royalty. We are not common priests. We are royal priests in the service of the great king. And, you know, there's so much stuff in the news right now about uh, the British royal family because of all the things with Queen Elizabeth's death and all of the activities and changes that are happening and all. And what catches my attention is how people focus on the behavior Of the royal family. They're watching everybody's activities. Everybody's actions. And they are scrutinizing the royal family. And they look at the royal family of God. Princes and princesses of the Most High. And they watch us. And they hear us. And they critique us. We are in the service of the king and our actions are watched by the world. And they go viral, you know. I mean, I, a pastor that, that I've, I've listened to in the past, a good teacher, made some bad moral choices. Dismissed. That thing hit the web like crazy. You know, the world watches. We have a higher standard. And like I said, the world expects us, and rightly so, to live at a different level. By God's grace, we can. Royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're supposed to do proclaim the excellencies of God you need to come to Jesus why because he is excellent he is the way the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father except through him he loves you so much that he died for your sins so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God on judgment day that's how excellent God is That's how excellent Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. He pulled me out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was lost. I was broken. I was screwed up, messed up, and going to hell. And this is what Jesus did for me. This is how Jesus worked in my life. And people want to hear that there's something bigger and better that is outside of themselves. This world is hurting, gang. And we have the answer. And his name is Jesus. See, for us, we're to declare the excellencies of God. How we live, what we say, what we do. Because we're his ambassadors. We're his priesthood. We're his children. We're his temple. We're his people. We're his nation. Verse 10... Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then there's that bookend. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, we're just passing through, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles. Being a Christian for a long time, I've heard business people and Christian business people say they don't like hiring Christians. Because, especially if the business owner is a Christian, the Christians think that they can take it easy because it's just a brother or sister in the Lord that they're working for. They should be working that much harder for our brothers and sisters. Our conduct before people should be honorable because they're watching. And if they're going to slander us, may it be that they could only slander the way they could with Daniel. Well, we can't find anything dirty on him, so let's uh, attack him in regards to his relationship with God, okay? That's That's all they had to work with. They had to drum something up because of his holiness. How about Jesus? He went before, I believe, five trials before the cross. Verdict? Can't find anything. Can't find any deceit, any guile. Any sin, any wrongdoing, any crime. And Pilate made it clear. I find nothing in this man worthy of death. That is the way it needs to be for us. Where we can be put under the microscope and people can see a holy life, a different life. Because what Peter says here is... They will speak against you as evildoers. Okay, people hate the light. That's just the way it's going to be. Jesus told us that. There it is. But it says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This brings to mind Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light so shine before all men that they may see your good works and that they might glorify your Father in heaven. When you look at the way that Darius, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar engaged Daniel, they honored God because of what they saw in Daniel. When the Pharisees tried to break Peter and John, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and they were able to just, boom, bring the Word of God and the message of God and deal with it right there when they were on trial. The thing that is said is that though that these two men were unlearned, they knew that they had been with Jesus. The correlation of conduct and the way that it's perceived that we are connected with God and Jesus Christ is seen by people. And they will, some of them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The word visitation is a noun. It is the word that is used for an overseer or a bishop, a shepherd of the flock of God. And by our conduct, there will be those who will see, they will glorify God, and they will submit themselves under the the oversight of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. Our conduct will either drive people away from Jesus, or like salt and light, draw people to Jesus. And this is why we're told by Peter, by God through Peter, that we need to get rid of the junk, hold to the word, hold to Jesus, and walk a life that brings glory to our Father. Because the world's watching, and the world needs him.